0: Welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. If you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Malachi chapter 3 today. And first off, let me just say thank you for coming back. Some of you weren't here last week, and you don't know what that means. Well, we started a new series last week called Money, Fame, and All the Things, and we are getting in your checkbook today. And so for those of you who were here last week and came back, I'm proud of you. For those of you who stumbled into something and you wish you weren't here, too bad. You're stuck here now. We're glad that you're here, though. But we've been starting this series, or we've been looking at this series called Money, Fame, and All the Things, and I think that, that that is more than just talking about money. I think that money and fame and all the things you can buy with money is a God that affects many of our lives. A a false God that has this power over us. A false God that that many of us choose at different points in our life, maybe every day, maybe some days of the week, maybe once a year, but we choose to worship and serve this God of money, fame, and all the things. And because of that, as Christians, as followers of Christ, if there is a false God in our life, we must challenge that false God. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take away the power of money fame and all the things in our lives where does the power of money fame and all the things come from what power does that have over us why is it so hard for us to break away from them? and the only power that money and fame and all the things has over you and me is the power of lies money and fame and all the things will lie to you And last week we looked at a few of these lies that that money, fame, and all the things will do. The first lie we looked at was that money will make you happy. And the inverse of that, I think we often believe, is that the lack of money will mean the lack of happiness. The second lie we looked at last week was enough money will fulfill me. Which, if you've ever dealt with money at all, you know there's no such thing as enough money. And number three, lie number three, was that giving myself away is a curse. But what we found last week is that, that giving myself away is actually a blessing. And so we want to address a fourth lie today. Maybe the, the biggest lie that, that money, fame, and all the things tells us. It's the lie of Ownership who owns it who owns the money see what money fame and all the things will tell you is that if you have money in your bank account if you have a job if you are blessed in some way that that money is there to make you happy that that is for you to choose how to spend that you earned that money but that simply is a lie if you look at the truth of scripture see the correct perspective on who owns the money will keep our money from owning us So I want to talk today about biblical truths about who owns the money, about money ownership. As I said earlier, we're in Malachi 3. If you still haven't found that, that's okay. I forgot to tell you that is the last book in the Old Testament. If you can find Matthew and go backwards just a couple pages from Matthew, you will find Malachi there. So while you're finding that, let me give you a little context for this. Malachi was a prophet. And if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about a different prophet, Hosea. And what prophets do is God sends them to his people to deliver a message from God to them. Usually he sends them in hard times or times when his people have rebelled against him. So Malachi, just like Hosea, has this message that he is bringing to uh, the people of Israel, to the children of Israel. And that message is very simple. The message is that you have sin in your life. And you are rejecting God. And what we're going to see in Malachi chapter 3 is that when people have sin in their life and they reject God, that that rejection of God is reflected in their giving habits and in their patterns. And Malachi's uh, thesis, what he's, he's bringing from God is, is very simple. What do we do with this problem of our sin and our rejection of God? It's very simple. Just repent of your sin. Now, I love saying that because that's a very churchy word that a lot of us know what it means, but I I love breaking it down because it's so simple. What does repenting of your sin actually mean? How do we apply that? Repenting of your sin simply means quit doing it your way and choose to do it God's way. And the Christian life is is that simple as followers of Christ, where we spend our entire lives learning how to stop doing it Brian's way and start doing it God's way. And in this instance, when he talks about money, God has some words for the Israelites that I think can bring, uh, uh, can teach us something. So, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. This is God speaking. He says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have we robbed thee? in tithes and in offerings. Hold your Bibles open right there for just a second. We'll be back there in a few minutes. So God starts off talking to the Israelites about this topic with this absurd question. Would somebody be dumb enough to rob God? Would anybody try to rob God? And and immediately the reaction, if you hear that, is like, no, nobody would rob God. How dumb do you have to be to rob God? There's nobody that dumb. Actually, there are people in the world that are dumb enough. I read this headline this morning. I knew there had to be one. I went looking for dumb people robbing dumb things. Here's the headline I read this morning. Man breaks into police station, tries to rob commissioner's office. Like, like, what are you going to do with this? So he's in here and somebody walks in and he takes off running. Where's he running to? Into the midst of the police station. How, how dumb do you have to be? Uh, yeah, people, people do dumb things. So when we say, would somebody rob God? We're like, no, nobody would do that. But in truth, in truth, humans are capable of doing incredibly dumb stuff. So immediately when God asked us, would you rob me? He's like, no, that's just as dumb as robbing the police station. Why would I do that? God drops this bomb on us. Would you rob God? No, of course not. But you have robbed me. And we just let that heaviness sink in for a second. Can you imagine the God of the universe speaking to you and me? He's saying, everybody knows you would never rob God, but that's what you've been doing. You've robbed God. You've stolen from me. And what are we going to do with that? And so the next question is, okay, God, if if I've robbed you, if that's something that I've allowed myself to stupidly get into is, how would I have robbed you? How could I steal from the creator of the universe? How could I steal from the God who loves me enough to hear my prayers? How could I do that? And God says, by withholding tithes and offerings. Now, Before I go any farther, I just want to say, this was not my planned text for today. Uh, usually, I'm about a couple weeks ahead and I'm thinking I'm going to do this. I have a little list of scriptures that I'm going to. And, and this week, I was already studying. And I already took my Monday study and I already studied, had it studied to another passage. And I was really praying about it. It's like, something's not right about this. So I started praying, God, is it this passage? Is it this passage? And I think about this particular passage. And I go, no, he doesn't want me to teach that. And I prayed through several. And when I finally, like, God, is it the verse about robbing you? Is, is that where we're supposed to go? God's like, yeah. I said, I don't want to, but I will. So I want you guys to know something that, that God sent this specifically this morning to Ramsey Heights specifically he wanted us to listen to this to learn from this and i don't even like talking about it but he knows more than i do see what god says here when he says that withholding tithes and offering him is a clear attack on the lie of ownership on the lie that says the things that i have are for me to make me happy because see, robbing implies ownership I can't rob myself. I can't take something that belongs to me and give it back to me. Robbing is when I take something that belongs to somebody else and I give it to me. So when God says you've withheld your tithes, you've withheld your offerings, you've withheld your giving, what he says is you've taken something that's belonged to me, God, and you've kept it for yourself. So there's three questions I want to address with this particular verse before we move on to the next verse. For some of us, this may be very simple, very general information. For some of us, you may learn something new this morning. I know that I did in studying this. So three questions. Question number one, what is a tithe? Question number two, what is an offering? And question number three, how is withholding my giving robbing God? Three questions to learn from verse eight. So, question number one, what is a tithe? If you've got your uh, outline in your bulletin and you're filling that out, here's your first take-home truth. A tithe is 10% of your income given to God. 10% of your income given to God. And this goes all the way back to the beginning. In your Bible, the very beginning of your Bible is called the book of Genesis. And it has the story of Adam and Eve, and it has the story of Noah, and it has the story of Abraham. And we see in Genesis 14, the very first tithe that is not commanded. There was no Bible at this time. Nobody said you had to. But we see Abraham in a moment of worship, in a moment of praising God. He gives 10% of everything that he has to God. And we call this a tithe. It comes from the old English word uh, tithola, which means a tenth, 10%. So the question is, why did Abraham do this? Nobody told him to. He didn't have to. There was no reason for him to. Abraham used this as a moment of worship and appreciation, a moment of worship and appreciation for God. He said, I'm going to sacrifice some of what I have and give back to God. That's our second take home truth on your list there. A tithe is part of worship to God. It's part of how we worship him. It's a part of how how we describe how, how much he means to us. The, the word worship that we use, we usually think of worship like what we just did with live, where we, we sing to God. That, that's worship to us. But the word worship actually was once pronounced worthship, And it's a relationship in, in which you ascribe worth to something. And so when we worship God, what we're saying to him, whether we're singing, whether we're serving him in worship, whether we're giving in worship, we proclaim the worthiness of God. Like, God, this is who you are. You are so worth this. To me you're worth more than 10 percent. you're worth more than this money in my pocket that's that's what i'm here to do and abraham in this act of giving at this time he just wanted god he said god you are worthy you're worth more to me than my possessions i would rather have you if you follow this concept into the book of Leviticus, if you've been in Sunday school the past couple weeks, I believe we're studying Leviticus at like a breakneck speed. But in Leviticus, God actually commands the tithe of his people. And at this time, it wasn't 10% of your income. It was 10% of everything. You would give 10% of your money, you would give 10% of your seed, you would give 10% of your animals. You would give all of this up to give it to God. And that money would be given to the temple where it would be used for God's purposes in taking care of the Levites who, who were the priests of the time and making sure that the, God's temple had money to accomplish the things that it needed to accomplish. So we see it in Genesis, we see it in Leviticus at this time. It was practiced by the Jews all through the centuries and it's fact that practicing Jews today still tithe. Now, there is some question for Christians if you study this topic. Is it necessary for a Christian to tithe? This is the question you all want me to say no to. Like, do we, do we have to do this? Is this something God, uh, God expects of us? And here's what I will tell you. I teach Bible only here. I don't give my own opinions. I teach Bible only. And here's what I can tell you from studying this. The word tithe is found nowhere in the New Testament. Some of you, I saw some heads pop up there. It's like, oh, okay, I like it here now. But here is, here is what is found, because some people have taken that to mean that old te- that tithing is just an Old Testament practice. But here is what is found in the New Testament. This is from First Corinthians 16. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, stored up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. So in this little section of the New Testament out of First Corinthians, talking about giving, we see four things about how we're expected to give. Number one is we are expected to give regularly. Now, it says here weekly. We won't be legalistic about that and say you have to drop money in the offering plate every week. That's what God expects of you. What that's pointing to is a regular giving. And that may look like once a week for you, once every two weeks. I personally write my checks once a month because that's how often I get paid. But a regular giving that you give. This regular giving, number two that we said here, should be proportional to your income. It says as you should prosper. And so when you have income coming in, when you're getting paychecks, God expects you on a regular basis to give a proportional amount of that or you might say a percentage amount of that to him. Three, it should be commutative. There was a collection among the church at Corinth that was to be saved for a purpose, put into a general, what we would call a general fund account. And then number four, that general account was used for the purpose of God's work, where it says at the end that that gift will be sent to Jerusalem, which at this time was a struggling church. So we see here something that it may not say the word tithe, but it looks an awful lot like tithing. Giving a regular proportional amount of your income to God and sacrificing that. Uh, we see if you want to go the history route, we see that this was practiced and understood as part of worship for God in the early church. Giving has always been a part of our worship. And we don't we don't like that. Uh, we don't like to say that this is a regular part of our worship and even a required part. So I've got a question. I've got a question about this because really, honestly, I don't like it either. In my fallen, broken self, Brian doesn't always like what the Bible says even if he believes it's true. So the question is why? Why why does God expect us to do this? I don't know about y'all. I've always been the kind of person that I will follow rules, but I'm a whole lot more likely to follow it if you tell me why I have to follow it. Like, what's the purpose of that rule? I remember a family vacation several years ago where my family went to um, visit some other family in Atlanta and we left at like five o'clock in the nine. So we ended up getting there like three o'clock in the morning and we pulled off the highway. You know, you get off the off ramp and sometimes there's a stoplight there. Two, three o'clock in the morning, not a car in sight. There's a red light what should you do at the red light stop very good you should stop at the red light and so we're sitting here and i'm like this is stupid. Like, why, why are we sitting here? There's not a car anywhere on any of the five roads that I can see from the window. Why are we doing this? And then, you know, when you're sitting at a stoplight, you see the lights cycle and the green comes up or the, the red turns on the other side. Okay, it's fixing to be my turn. And I'm not joking, guys. This really happened. We watched it like four times. It would cycle through every light. Everybody was allowed to go except for us. And so all of these imaginary cars that weren't there are going back and forth every time the light turns green. And meanwhile, the only actual car on the the road is stuck and i finally leaned up to my dad and i'm like we can go like this is this is dumb we don't have to follow that rule why are we sitting here he's like it's a red light why why does it matter it's there to keep you from wrecking eventually it did let us go i don't know i guess god heard our prayers or knew there were and to be a domestic incident in the car because we were all very angry in that turn but i've always wondered like why do we have to follow that rule and so here's what i would encourage you to ask of scripture is why don't don't ask will I just ask why it's okay to ask why why does God require this of me the scripture will give you answers to that and it will make it make so much more sense to you and what you will find when you ask this of the scriptures is you will find something about God is that God is good in everything and all the time he is good in everything God is good and so when we start looking at these directions, what you will find is that God, God's directions are also good. They're good for you. And when you come to Ramsey Heights, I don't want to present a list of rules for you and say, okay, if you're going to be a Christian, do these things. That's not Christianity, that's legalism. That's what Jesus attacked over and over and over in the religious elite of his time. Now, when we come to Ramsey Heights, what I want to present to you is that God has a plan for how he designed you how he made you and he tells you how to live within that design the way that he did not the way that the broken world has taken it out of proportion and so when we look at this rule i look at this and i go god doesn't need money god spoke the world into existence i don't think he's got cash problems so i've got to ask why god why you don't need my money my little, my little income, my little 10%. And some of you guys are sitting here and you're wondering the same thing. And I think this is what the scripture bears out when you look at money. When you look at what Jesus said about money is that giving is a way that we remind ourselves that I have something more valuable than money. And, and practicing giving, when we surrender ourselves to God, is a monthly or a weekly or a bi-weekly reminder. It's like, hey, I could have this money, but I, I would rather have God And as long as we have that reminder in our lives, it steals the power of money, fame, and all the things. Question number two that we want to discuss is what is an offering? So our second take home truth, or I think it's our third take home truth, is an offering is extra income past your tithe that is given to God. So this is anything extra that you give to God out of that proportional amount. This can be something that you give one time could be called an offering. You may feel called to give extra monthly. You may feel like you need to designate money for a specific purpose because of you've been praying about it or that's on your heart. But for whatever reason, you choose to give extra. I know some of you are still stuck on the 10%. You're like, Brian... If I'm supposed to give 10%, you're not getting 11. Like, like, why are we stuck on this number? Well, why do we keep doing this? Why would somebody give more than the 10% of the tithe that we feel like we're called to? I can tell you the answer. It's because we want to. You want to give away your money. Yeah, we, we want to give away our money. I know that sounds insane, but here's the truth. Is what you find value in I'm sorry, what you want is measured by what you find value in. And so you will find ways to give to things that you find value in. It's true of everybody, Christians and non-Christians alike. I, I was thinking about, like, this is Arkansas, and we're all Razorback fans here. And if you're not, you're wrong. I'm sorry, that's just from God's word, you're wrong. And so I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about giving and people giving away stuff. And I was like, I wonder how much money people give to the athletic foundation to the razorback foundation every year and so google is my friend this is is what i found of people giving to something they believe brings value to them Uh, the razorback foundation makes between 20 over the past 10 years between 27 and 48 million dollars a year why because people find value in sports people find value in the entertainment of the sports and so people give their money to what means the most to them you wouldn't be surprised to know that uh those numbers go up on years where the hogs go to the sweet 16 twice in a row like like those numbers are proportional to people feeling like this gives value to them or this is valuable to them and so they're willing to give it and as christians you know what we find value in we found find value in what god did in our lives i find value in my salvation i find value in the fact that i have learned that the king of the universe who created everything he keeps the moon going he keeps the earth spinning he keeps the oceans rolling in when you go to the beach those waves don't just happen god is in control of all of that but the second i say my father in heaven he turns his direct attention to me and he'll hear my prayer about somebody i know who's hurting or he'll answer my prayer at a stoplight in Atlanta at three o'clock in the morning to please let us go. And we find value in that. And therefore, we're willing to give not only to God, but to see other people learn that. See, we find major value in in God because we believe in what God is giving to us. God is a giver. We're not sitting here asking you to give for nothing. Our God is a giver. And most importantly, he gave us Jesus Christ. When, when, we talk about, when we talk about what we're doing here and why we might do this, we're just reflecting what God has already done for us. If he has a giving heart, so should I, because I'm a follower of Christ. I, I love the Bible verse that we usually talk about with the gospel. You guys know it, it's John three sixteen. right? For God so loved the world that he... Gave his only begotten son. And so when we choose to give, it is because we find value in what God has given us in his outpouring of generosity. And in turn, we pour generosity out back to and for him. Our next take home truth is an offering is a reflection of God's generosity living in us. So that brings us to the third question, because this is really the the whole point of the message of, of why you might choose to give, why you should give the third question is how is withholding giving robbing god and this is a hard one because it addresses that lie of ownership this addresses the power of money fame and all the things See, the power is found for that in our lives in a question of ownership who owns what you have does it belong to you was it given to you are you holding it for somebody else who owns that what money, fame, and all the things would want you to know is it's yours. You, you, you tell yourself, I deserve that. I earned that. It should be for me. I'm in control of it. And for that reason, that's why we resist giving. And some of you are sitting here this morning and you're like, I just want to get out of here. I don't want to hear nothing else about money. I still love you. I'm not getting on to you. But, but what I want you to know is that that God of that money and that fame and all the things it has, it's, has its claws in you. And you're missing out on something more special because you refuse to quit serving and worshiping this false God. So to undo this belief that I own everything, we turn to Scripture. Scripture is the pinnacle. Scripture, you can't argue with it. And here's what Scripture says about this world. This is from Psalm 24, verse 1. I didn't make this up. You're welcome to look it up. It says, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness the world and those who dwell in it listen god in his holy word in the same bible that tells us there's a way for you and i to get to god in the same bible that tells us that we need jesus christ in the same bible that tells us about the grace that is available to us god lays claim to everything and everyone on this earth and and that makes sense (laughs) he created it like i mean obviously it's his I've got this little bench. I've probably talked about it a lot. I'm really proud of it over the years. I got this little bench I made when Jessica and I first got married. I was being a good husband, and she wanted a bench to go behind our table that we never sit on. But anyway, she wanted it, and so I did, like, this huge design. I spent hours putting this little thing together. Most of you would look at it and go, I could do that in 10 minutes. It took me days. But I'm so proud of it. And for a long time, I wouldn't even let her put it under the table because it had to sit in the living room. That way, if somebody came to our house, they would see it, and they'd be like, what's that? Like, I built that, you know you can come to my house and you can sit on that bench you can enjoy it you can brag on how good it's built if you want to how pretty it is you can't have it you know why because i made it it's mine and it's the same thing with god in this world you can come to this world you can sit around but it's not yours i love the concept of land ownership it's not your land you control it for a very very brief period of history you don't own it you can't own it Because one day you're going to die and somebody else is going to own it. And they're going to die and somebody else is going to own it. That land's always going to be there. You can't own it. And it's like that with everything. All of the gold in the world, God says, that's mine. All of the trees that we've made our houses out of, God says, those are mine. Everything that we have ever profited on or sold for wealth, God says, that's mine. Everything belongs to him. Our next take-home truth is everything in the world belongs to and is controlled by God. And when we talk about finances and we talk about giving and we talk about generosity and we talk about money in this church that is the base of how a believer values their possessions is everything that I own is actually owned by him he owns it and he has given it to me and this is what I find interesting about that is if God gave it to you he gave it to you for a reason I don't know what that reason is for every individual. Different people use it in different ways. Different people are called to use things in different ways, but he gave it to you for a very specific reason. This, this particular concept is called stewardship, just meaning that it's not mine. I hold it for somebody else. Somebody has given me something. God has given me something. I'm allowed to spend it. I'm allowed to use it, but I spend it for him. And here at Ramsey Heights, we believe in stewardship. So I'm proud to announce this morning that we're starting something called the Stewardship Initiative here at Ramsey Heights in 2022. And if you don't know what this is, you want to listen closely, you're going to like this. So every quarter, we look at our finances right before the business meeting. And what we have decided to do this year in order to teach Ramsey Heights stewardship is we are going to take anything that is above our budget and we're going to pay it back out to church members like like dividends. So if you're interested in this, you're going to want to see Brother Larry after church and do the tax paperwork. Okay so here's all that we do one rule 90% of it 90% of it is yours spend it how you want what you want do whatever you want with it it's going to end up being like a $1000 a person this year so $900 do yours The only thing that I'm going to ask of you is that you take $100 of that and you give it to some missionary. Brother Larry also has a list of missionaries that you can hand that to. So see him. Yeah, we're not going to do that. Not really. Some of you, some of you know me well enough to go, oh, this is funny. I saw you laughing. Some of you were serious. Like, really? I like this church. We're not going to do that. But let me ask you a question. If we were, how excited would you be? You mean you're going to give me $1,000 and all I have to do is write a check of 100 of it to a missionary? Why is it generous when I or a church would do that for you? But when God works under that very same model, he says, I'm going to give you all of this stuff. 90% of it, you're free to do with what you want. 10% of it comes back to me. Why is it oppressive when God does it? When we'd all be jumping for joy if the church did it or our friends did it or the government did it. Why? Why is God considered oppressive at that moment? I don't know here's the biblical view of money everything I own belongs to God he gifted me with it and somebody in here because I have fought this in my life somebody said Brian I worked hard for that I got a job I worked my way up the ladder I went to college I sweat tears and blood for this money that's mine why why do I have to give it up Brian God didn't give that to me I earned it it's all mine let me ask you some questions before you continue on with that what if your health was different could you have worked that hard if if you had had some major illness what if what if you didn't have the abilities or the intelligence you had what if you weren't born in america like we are the most blessed people on earth we're born into a world where money basically rains from the skies go to any other country you're not going to earn or build up anything you're going to be struggling to survive Here's, I don't know if the Bible gives me the authority to do this, but I, I'm pretty sure that I'm safe in saying this, um, and God will back me on this. I will excuse you from giving to God. I'll write you a note if you want to, like a doctor's note. If you can work your entire forty-eight or 40-hour 40 week without breathing God's air. You, you do that, you work 40 hours, you don't breathe the whole time, you come to me, you don't have to give anything. You're excused from that. See, everything you have, even if you have a job, that was given to you by God. You were born in America where there is uh, ability and access to jobs. That was given to you by God. Everything we have, our health, our ability, the air we breathe while we work, given to us by God. And God says, when I give this to you and you refuse to give it back, you are robbing me. Because you're taking what is mine and not using it as I directed you to. This is where Israel had got to in the book of Malachi. They they had got God so far out of their minds, they were worshiping all of these false gods, they they decided, we're not gonna give. And there's a lot of Christians that live this way today as well. And this is a symptom of a wrong belief about God. It's when we get full of ourselves, when we get prideful and say, I'm capable of doing things apart from God. I don't need him. I don't need his help. I, I can do it. And God may let you believe that, but the Bible also says that pride goes before the fall, and generally when you believe that a little too long, you will find some hardship that lets you know you need God. The other thing that we have a wrong belief here is that I have ownership of what he has stewarded to me. And that's a heart problem for us when we can look at God and say, thank you for what you've given me, but it's for me now, not for you. Our next take-home truth is this. Followers of Christ believe God controls their finances. And God is not okay with being robbed. God is not okay with with being generous and giving to people who are stingy and refuse to give back and love him back. If you continue to read here in Malachi, back to the scripture, we'll see how God handles this with the people of Israel. Verse 9, it says, Ye are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in in mine house and prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer, that's Satan, the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. God tells Israel, I'm not gonna say that he's saying this to us, God tells Israel in this case, he says, Okay. If that's how you want to play it, if that's how you want to handle your finances, if you want to not acknowledge that I'm a God, that I am God, if you want to not acknowledge that I give generously to you. He said, I'll I'll quit giving back. And so in the Old Testament, God worked with the Israelites on a system of blessings and curses. You were blessed as a reward for obedience and you were cursed as a punishment for disobedience, just like many of us do with our kids where we give them privileges for doing good things and we give them punishment for doing bad things. And in that, God would move his people to repentance when they realized, oh, I do need God. If God would just do what he used to do for me, Maybe life would be better and people would turn back to him. So in this, in this system, there was always a, there was a curse. Let me take that back. But there was always an answer to the curse. And in this answer, this is what God says to his people. He says, return what is stolen. Basically, that's that fancy word we talked about earlier. Repent. He says, Stop doing it your way. And let's try it God's way for a little bit. Stop doing it the way that that you want to do it and do it my way. And this repentance here comes with a promise. Listen to what he promises them. He says, if you will do this, I will open, number one, I will open the windows of heaven. Number two, I will pour out a blessing so big you cannot receive it. Number three, I will rebuke Satan and keep him from stealing from you. Number four, your crops will abound. And I love this. God says, prove me in this. You know what that means? Arkansas talk is try me try me. See, see if it won't happen this way. And I want to be very clear. We're not selling blessings here. I don't believe that you can buy your way into God's favor. That is not true. But I would encourage you and I would challenge you. Try God's way. Try God's way. If you've been withholding just begin. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this in your bulletin. There's a little pink slip. If you feel like, Hey, I need to start giving. I don't know how that little pink slip will tell you the different ways that you can give here at Ramsey Heights. If you, if you don't know how to tithe or you never have tithe, begin, begin to offer those tithes to him. Reframe your reference of how you look at money and realize that you are a steward and I'm going to steward God's money the way that, that he asked me to. If you already tithe, I would encourage you to, to add extra to it, to begin to give. And I can tell you from personal experience, this is hard at first. It's hard. I'm not going to sit here and say, you're going to skip in here that first check and drop in the offering plate and be like, that feels so good. You won't. It hurts because it goes against everything that, that you want. It went against everything I wanted when, when I began to give. But here's what else I can tell you from experiences. It's hard at first, and then it gets easier and then you'll reach a place in your faith where it's not even a choice to do it another way. I, I can tell you from people that I know who are very mature, mature in the faith that if you were to so much as hint that they quit giving, they would immediately, immediately shut that down because it becomes part of our worship and it becomes part of our relationship with God and it becomes part of the way that we honor God. So do what God asks of the Israelites. Give him an opportunity to prove to you that he can make this a blessing in your life so practically what does this look like for you how, how do we do this how do we make this work uh, friday night i was sitting at home with my daughter oakley and my wife uh, and in our house at the end of our couch there's a fireplace and there's this little gap about this wide between the end of the couch and the fireplace we call it the hole and it's my daughter's favorite place in the whole house i don't know why but we don't want her back there because there's the fireplace right there she does this weird thing where she pops up like a jack-in-the-box on drugs i don't know and pops up over the couch and scares you and tries to grab your hair uh, there's an electrical outlet back we don't like her there but that's her favorite place and so friday night she was back there and she had this whole pile of stuff and she's and jessica kept going oakley come out of there please come out of there and finally finally i told her i said oakley come here come here please and she always when you say oakley she always go hmm it's like okay i got your attention so i get down on her level i'm like come here baby come here eyes and ears eyes and ears that's how we listen okay daddy doesn't want you in the hole anymore okay okay daddy okay you can get hurt back there we're trying to protect you so we're not going to go back there anymore okay daddy all of your toys are over here you can go play with them you've got this whole house just stay out of that one little three by three spot of the house go everywhere you want to okay daddy all right i'm glad we had this talk i love you i love you daddy and i stood up i was like i looked at my wife like dad of the year and i know more got sat down on the couch and i looked over where was she at she's back in the hole and some of us live our faith like that you're sitting here today and you're like okay god okay God and maybe it's not that it's high on your priority list I think I said what it is with my daughter I think part of it was her is she knew that I wanted her to do something but she didn't know how to apply that I think so many Christians struggle with that so how do we apply this to us how do how do we take these next steps now I want to go over that with us here in first Corinthians going back to 1 Corinthians 16 here here's what God asks of us he says give regularly My suggestion would be that you take the percentage of your paycheck when it comes in and that'd be the first check that you write. Let me promise you this. If you write your house payment and your water bill and your electric bill and your credit card bill and all of those things and you go out to eat four or five times and you want to go to the movies and then you got to buy all that stuff on Amazon and then you wait till after all of that to begin writing checks. When you wait for all that to begin giving to God, it just won't be in the bank account. You'll get there. You may even think you're going to do it. Yeah, I'll write this on the 20th. 20th gets here. Ooh, I don't don't have any money. We got to put gas in the car. It's like $16 a gallon. Like we can't afford to give to God right now. So do it as the first thing. That's not a legalistic thing. That's a, that's a um, common sense thing. Secondly, choose to pay a proportional part of your income. And I understand for some of us that sitting here and routing 10% next week of our next paycheck is not going to happen for you. You've built your life on using 100% of that money for you you can't just all of a sudden change. You can't sell the house and get rid of a kid all of a sudden and make that happen. So start somewhere. Next time you get a paycheck, start with, okay, 3%. And set yourself a schedule. For, for a few weeks, I'll do 3%. And then after seven or eight times, I feel like I can have my life in order where I can do five. And then work that up to 8%. And, and then make yourself to that 10 or 12 or 15%, whatever God calls you to. But start somewhere. Don't sit here and wait and say, I'm going to wait until the money's available. It will never be available. Start somewhere in giving to God. You give to God in a community. We suggest that you give here at Ramsey Heights. However, I will say this. I probably shouldn't. I will say this. If you feel like, if it is hindering you that you have this thought in your head that preacher wants my money, I will help you find somewhere else to give your money until you're comfortable giving here at your church family. I really truly believe that you should be giving to your church family. But if there's something that is hindering you from following God in that, we'll work towards that together and we'll find you somewhere else to give it. I would rather you give to God elsewhere than withhold here because you don't trust me. So if that's what's hindering you, no excuses. You're not getting out of here free. Here at Ramsey Heights, when you put offering in the offering plate, that money is used for God's work. It is used to take care of our building. 12% of it, we work on a a tithe plus offering model here at church. 12% of it, we give away immediately, as quickly as possible. We don't want that money. We want God to use it elsewhere. So give somewhere in community. Don't just hold it back and say, I'm going to spend it when I feel like God is telling me to. Give it somewhere into a community. And then give it for the purpose of God's work. Wherever you give, and I hope it is at your local church, and if you're visiting and you have another church, give there. Give that money somewhere where it is going to be used for God's work. And it will be hard at first. I promise you, Satan will badger you all week. You'll go to the ATM, he's going to be beating you down. You're going to eat bologna sandwiches the rest of the week. You'll get to church and Satan will be like, "Hey, you know, there's something on TV you were supposed to record. And you forgot to go home and do that." And you walk in here and you'll see the offering plate, and this is his favorite trick. You can drop it in when you walk out, not when you walk in. And when it comes time to walk out, you can accidentally get distracted. It will be so hard at first. So how do you overcome this? How how do you how do you give for that first time? And here's what helps me when. In my imperfect and broken state, I sometimes wonder if I could have a bigger house if I didn't give as much money. In my imperfect and broken state, if I wonder if I could actually buy a Jeep with that money. Here's what helps me. As I focus on my salvation and I focus on those words, God gave his only son for me. And that everybody in here needed Jesus Christ. Every last one of us needed a savior And God did so not because it was easy. God did so at great cost because of his love for us. The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. I think you can apply that to we give because he first gave to us. So this morning, maybe that's not a motivator for you because you've never received Jesus. He's just some guy in a Bible that you know has some rules. And maybe it's time to put your faith in him. Let me tell you, you'll never regret it jesus christ came here and gave his life so that you and i could be free maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like ah, i'm filling the pool i should i should give just remind yourself what you give to god is nothing compared to what he has gave and what he will continue to give to you if you'd like to talk or pray this is our response time i'd invite you up here i would love to talk with you and counsel you through any questions that you have but don't leave here the same as you walked in please stand